Imagine that you're a GP in one of the most idyllic areas of Sydney. You've got loyal patients and your family's very happy. But you're not happy with that. You feel that there's a higher purpose and more you can do for the health of the country and indeed the politics of the country. So you face a choice. Do you give up what you've got or do you stay where you are and always think about the missed opportunity? Well, we're going to find out the choice that was made by our guest today. You're listening to Dr. Rama with Steve Robson, bringing you the best of health, medicine and people. My guest today is the member for McKellar, Dr. Sophie Scomps. Thank you so much for joining us on Dr. Rama today, Dr. Scomps. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Do you mind if I call you Sophie just for the of sake course. of speaking along? Of course. Please <laughs> call me Sophie. De-titling you. <laughs> not detitling you in any way. It just makes it a bit smoother. No, thank you. That'd be great. Sophie, thanks for joining us. Um, before you were a GP, you're an athlete and a very accomplished athlete, and I understand that you're part of a group that has a record that stands to this day. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, so I was very lucky. I was involved in athletics from a very young age. My, I was one of four children, and I think my mum thought it was a good idea to get us all out of the house on a Saturday morning, so off we all went down to little athletics. But... um. I was uh, fortunate to be quite good at it. I think I surprised myself and um, competed for Australia in a couple of a couple of occasions, and one of them was in the World Junior um, uh, World Junior Games in 1992. And during that time, we um, our four by four hundred meter women's relay team. Uh, got the gold medal and we also got the Australian record, which still stands. And funnily enough, Kathy Freeman was in that. Uh, larger team, but she wasn't in the 4x4 relay team. She was still running ones and twos at that stage. So we even did it without Kathy. <laughs> well, that really is quite an incredible achievement. You went on and you you uh, graduated in medicine from the University of Sydney, but you also have um, uh, a science degree from Oxford and you got a master's. Was general practice where you were headed or were you doing some other things and making up your mind? I think I was doing other things definitely and making up my mind. And I had a bit of a, uh, a, a windy career, we could say. So um, I did have aspirations to do physician's training, but I also absolutely loved my athletics and wanted to be able to get back into my athletics. And then I had a partner that was living away interstate. So all sorts of different things were factored in. And um, we did make a decision uh, at one point to go and live overseas and that's when I had the opportunity to both do the Masters in Public Health, which was absolutely wonderful and such an eye-opener for me. And then following that, we spent a couple of years in Dublin. My husband was a professional rugby union player and played over in Dublin for a couple of years. And then following that, we both always had this desire to go and study at Oxford, just thought it would be a wonderful opportunity. So we gave it a go. Each of us gave it a go. We both got in and... That was an incredible experience as well. Um, studied a master's of um, the history of science, medicine, and technology. So it was actually a history degree, uh, which is which is um, quite incredible. So that must have broadened your horizons on medicine quite a lot. Yeah, I, I think studying both the masters of public health 
and the history of science and medicine really broadened my horizons greatly just to just to know that there's much more than just the you know the one single person making a discovery that it's a much broader movements and changes and you know the the particularly you know we hear a lot about it now the social determinants of health but that was really revelationary for me when I first learned about it you know back some 20 odd years ago yeah you came back to Australia and you were working in Narrabant, which I guess is not that far from where you grew up. I think you grew up around the Taramara. Um, that's area. right. That's right. Yes. But a, a different electorate now. It's not the electorate that you're actually uh, the member for now. I think it's Bradfield, is it? Um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, up on North Shore is Bradfield. And um, we had lived in Canberra for a while, but decided if, if we were quite keen to stay in Canberra, but thought if we move back to Sydney, where would we live? And definitely the, the Northern Beach was such a beautiful area. It really appealed to us. But yes, I practiced um, for some years, for several years at Monavale Hospital and, and North Shore Hospital in emergency um, and really loved that, but then realised um, that I wanted that more long-term relationship with my patients and um, decided to go into general practice and so ended up working at Narrabeen and I just feel it was uh, such a wonderful time in my life because it was such a wonderful community and I really felt lucky to be working with those with those people in, in such a place as well. So you're right, I was in a very happy place <laughs> working as a, J- a GP in Narrabeen in that community. I, I imagine looking at the area, I had a look at the map, uh, before we we got on today, and it looks like a, an area where there are going to be a lot of loyal patients. It's a relatively, uh, I guess, yes. geographically um, circumscribed area, and I guess you got to know your patients really well. Yes, I did. That's why I felt very fortunate, and that's exactly what I wanted out of general practice was to be able to build those longer term trusting relationships with people, so you could really work with them to get the best. You know, working with them to get the best with them because. If you know somebody well, you know what they're going to take and what they're what. There's no way they're going to step into. So sort of saying, I know that you're never going to, you know, do this, but how about we try this way? And trying to really bring people on that journey or decide that journey, but supporting them. I, it was it was such a um, yeah a wonderful wonderful career. I really really did love it and just loved my patients as well. It was yeah really rewarding. So coming from something that sounds very idyllic. Um, what was it that made you say, well, look, I have a great life, my family is settled here, I'm making a real impact on the community, but there's something more I think I could do. Can you talk me through a little bit about your thought processes? Yes, I always had a niggling in the back of my mind that, yes, I was looking after a certain cohort of people, of individuals and families, but um, I could be doing a lot more just from my background in, in public health and also you know, with the history of medicine as well. I understood that there's a lot more that I could personally be doing um, as somebody with this knowledge to to make sure the fundamentals were there that really supported people having that sense of well-being and health uh, on a much greater sort of population level than, than what you can do as a GP. You can do a lot as a GP, but just knowing that and I guess one of the triggers for me was just knowing that climate change was coming <clears throat> and there was very little leadership at the federal level on, on climate change. And I just thought we're going to be facing this barrage of climate disasters, you know, housing, job security, all these things are so fundamental to health um, and the well-being of a, of a community and a nation. So that was sort of sitting in the back of my mind, I think, for quite some time. So how did you broach this with your husband and your family because this is a big thing to drop on a family. 
Well, it didn't happen like that, I must say. It was a very sort of stepwise journey. And I think what happened first was this sense that of absolute frustration that there was, uh, we weren't stepping up when it came to climate change. And so I got to the point uh, in my own life where I decided I needed to do whatever I could in my own life. So that certainly wasn't stepping up to be a candidate uh, as a federal politician. But um, it was pretty much what I could do in my life and my family's life. And I knew there was a lot of people in the community who felt the same way as I did. So starting to have those conversations with people in my network as well. And it really just started as building a community movement. You know, what can we do in our community? We can do a whole lot better. And we were, we were working um, with a lot of people to to decarbonise uh, Avalon and our, our community. And a lot of people were jumping on. I mean, I had thought about this for a long while and I'd sort of suggested to people that maybe we should do something, you know, to act on climate change, maybe even trying to convince other people to take the leadership, you know, step up and lead on certain things. And I had this revelation, actually. I had this enormously privileged life. I had a, um, you know, stable roof over my head, you know, family life was stable, everything and stable career and I'd had this, you know, wonderful privilege of this education that I'd had actually and I realised actually I should be stepping up. Why isn't it me that's stepping up? And when I changed that um, sort of the the rhetoric or the way I was speaking from we should do something to this is what I'm doing, people's responses changed dramatically as well from like, yes, we should be doing something to how can I help you? And that's how it really grew and things started to change. And so it really happened over a few years before I ran, decided to run as a candidate. And I really had to be brought along on that journey um, quite strongly, I think, as well. But it started just with advocacy uh, to the different levels of government and then understanding that if our community really wanted to be represented, then we needed to start with listening. And um, so it came down to following uh, the the voices model, which Kathy McGowan, who's an MP, and now um, Helen Haynes had had undertaken as well, which is really just sitting down around people's kitchen tables and listening to them about what issues are important to them and what solutions they'd like to see, and it all stemmed from there. And a lot of people in these um, kitchen table conversations were saying, "Well, we would love to have an independent who will genuinely represent us," uh, and they'd say, "Where are they?" And we said, "Well, there there isn't one here currently." Um, but it was felt it was came across so often and so broadly that that a friend and I stepped aside again and then started to help build this um, grassroots movement. Just pull it together because you can't create this type of thing. It has to come from the community. We just sort of help facilitate it. And um, one of my roles was actually looking for the candidate. We thought we probably needed a high profile candidate to get them across the line. But very strongly people in the community just said, no, we don't want a high-profile candidate. We want someone who's genuine and passionate about this, who's actually from our community and rep- will represent our community. And everyone said, well, why aren't you doing it? I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so it was a journey. It wasn't as though I, I flipped it on my family. It was more like, oh, my goodness, I think this is going to be me. <laughs> so it's it's a big thing to do. Did At any stage you get a sort of an attack of the nerves and think, oh, what have I done here? Did that happen? Oh, hugely. But I think I went through the process beforehand. I think my nerves came before I made the decision. And I'd sort of say to my husband, do you think I can do this? You know, I'd never really contemplated going into politics like that. But the more I sort of 
was involved in this whole voices movement, the more it just seemed like a good fit. And and the, the good fit came from the fact that people very broadly across the, the electorate were feeling that they hadn't been listened to and were taken for granted for a very long time. Um, and, you know, as a GP, one of our you know, and as a doctor, generally, one of the most important things we do is listen and you sit there and listen and you're told don't speak too much at the start of a consultation. You need to listen, otherwise you're going to miss the diagnosis 100% and you won't know how to work with that patient either. So I think that was a really powerful thing for me. And then the other thing came down to trust. There was such a trust deficit in our politicians and our government and at that time. So the community really did need somebody they could trust and having somebody that was embedded in the community as a GP is a pretty good place to start, I think. So so I'm now not sure where I stand on trust. I was a GP with high level of trust and now I'm a politician. So. Yeah, you've certainly gone on the trust scale from the top to, well, I'm not going to say the bottom, but no, certainly no, it's probably been I'm a big... Low, but that's one of the issues that we are trying to sort of deal with is to build greater integrity into our democracy in our political system and make sure that people are listened to and are hearing from me about how I'm representing them so that people can sort of feel that trust. Yeah. Now, there must be an enormous difference between your practice as a GP and the work that you do now. How would you describe that difference between the way you used to work as a GP and now as a professional politician? Look, it's interesting you ask that, Steve, because I see a lot of similarities as well. Very strangely, who would have thought? But um, I, as I was talking about that, that listening being such a powerful component of what, what I do is just enormously important in this role as well. And also being a good communicator, trying to communicate and making sure that people are, are feeling heard but also hearing from me and understanding it and also communicating in a way that brings people in and being accessible as well. So, um, and and also, as I said, trying to rebuild that trust. Trust is it's such an important thing as a doctor as well um, and bring that professionalism and that trust back into being uh, in this role as a politician. But I did, when I first started, I there were a lot of parallels between starting as a, a federal MP in in you know Canberra in Parliament House here in Canberra and starting as an intern you know that that huge building where you don't know where you're way around there's bells and buzzers going off there's urgent things happening there's like twenty things going on at once you've got to multitask so it, so there were a lot of similarities and and kind of as well thrown in the deep end back back in my day when I started it was a bit like that so there were, were a lot of similarities um, but I guess there's also a lot of negotiation that goes on as well like finding a a way forward finding a solution not just saying this is it take it or leave it you know working with people to find a good way forward finding a solution because you know uh, there's challenges in general practice that we're trying to help people with and solve and there's challenges facing our country again which we want to work towards solving in a really constructive collaborative way yeah, well, look, it's lucky you were a GP and not a bloody <laughs> surgeon then. <laughs> it would have been all, all, all nothing. I'm going I'm to finish up here with a couple of questions. It is a big thing for you to spend large blocks of time away from your family in Canberra now. How are your family coping with you being away? Look, I would say it was a bit like my family had the rug pulled from under them, but um, my husband has always been a hands-on father and he's um, 
he's really stepped up to, you know, taking care of the children. I, uh, and that's the most important thing, like the house might be in disarray, but as long as the children are sort of getting to where they need to go and feeling cared for, I think that's the main thing. But I have three teenagers, all who have, you know, really important needs. Currently, one's doing the HSC, two are learning to drive. Um, it's an important time in their lives. But yeah, it's, it's a big change because I am away from home as well. But I need to get that balance. It's been a very, very busy year. And I think my next focus is trying to get some more time where I do have just time out with the family. I've got teenagers as well. And I get a lot of feedback about my my performance. (laughs) Do you get some feedback? And is it positive from your kids? Oh, my kids are wonderful, actually, particularly during the campaign. Like, uh, they just say, doing great, mum, great job, mum, you know, going really well. And it really was uh, important to me. You know, it was really, I was like, yeah, because actually the reason I was doing it was for them, for them because I wanted to build that, you know, safe future for them and other children, but also so they would know and other people would know that somebody like what I consider myself an ordinary normal person would be able to step up into one of these roles and that absolutely anyone can, you know, aspire to that type of role as well. And it should be like that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Sophie, thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to me on Dr. Rama this afternoon. I'm hoping that we can catch up and talk again. There are plenty more things I'd like to chat to you about. But as it is, thank you so much for giving up your time and uh, uh, look forward to seeing you around Parliament House. Yeah, lovely speaking with you. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Rama, a podcast produced on Ngunnawal country by the Australian Medical Association. All rights reserved.